This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, Friday, January 12th, 2024. We are on the eve of the Malcolm Luther, Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King holiday weekend. How will you celebrate this great man's birthday? How will you do it? Uh, Volunteering is one thing, but no, Dr. King was about so much more than that. It was not about volunteering and just doing something nice for people. He was transforming our society into the beloved community. He wanted an end to war, an end to poverty. That put him up against very powerful forces who had him eliminated, who had him killed. Dr. King did not just die at 39. He was killed, assassinated, murdered at 39. Think about that on his birthday, on his birthday, and all that he did uh, to make America what it's supposed to be. Indeed, he's considered to be the modern-day founder of America, helping America to be all that it should be. I'm Sam Peter Jackson, coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota, Morning Stars will be back up on YouTube and Facebook next week. Yes. But in the meantime, I want you to go, go to WCPT 820 or AM 950 Radio or WCPT 820.com or AM 950Radio.com and check us out. Today we're going to be talking with two, two Palestinian Americans, uh, who one of whom is a clinician and a social worker. You know, the United Nations has said that the worst place in the world, the most unsafe place in the world to be a child is in Gaza. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about saving the children. We're going to talk about being displaced from your home. You have been there since, oh my goodness, for thousands of years. We'll be talking about that at the top of the hour. And we're going to have this peace summit, everybody. Yes, even with the winter storm warning in Chicago, Hundreds upon hundreds of people have said, we're still coming. So come to 935th Street today. Get on over to 935th Street, the Rainbow Push International Headquarters. Uh, Dr. Cornell West is already in Chicago, uh, going to speak this afternoon. Uh, Nina Turner going to be there. You don't want to miss it. So many people will be there and in fellowship, and it is going to be Something wonderful, everybody, something wonderful. So I hope to see you there after I get in from Detroit. I'm going to be speaking at the Martin Luther King celebration here in Wayne State today. And after I get out of here, we're going to drive back to Chicago. Hopefully we'll miss uh, the impending snowstorm. But please pray us traveling grace and mercies. I'm Sam Tita Jackson. Let's get to a few of the. Get to a few of the headlines. On, let's get to a few of the headlines on the Santita Jackson show. Cue up the music, Henry. The U.S. and British forces struck Houthi militants in Yemen yesterday. The, the Iran-backed rebel group has been attacking ships in the Red Sea since November in protest of Israel's war in Gaza, disrupting global trade. 
The strikes will heighten tensions across the Middle East where violence has spread since the war began. It is indeed becoming a global conflict, everybody. That's what it is. Donald Trump, his civil law trial in New York wrapped up yesterday. The former president interrupted court proceedings to attack the judge and New York Attorney General Letitia James, who filed a $370 million lawsuit. The judge has already ruled that the former president and his company committed fraud. He must now decide whether illegal acts took place and if there will be penalties. The FAA is launching an investigation into Boeing's manufacturing process. A panel flew off a Boeing 737 MAX 9 jet during an Alaska Airlines flight last week. The probe announced yesterday will examine Boeing's safety procedures. COVID killed nearly 10,000 people around the world that month, and it's hospitalizing 1,500 people a week in the United States of America. How can that be? Holiday gatherings fueled the spread, according to the World Health Organization, and officials studied data from fewer than 50 countries, mostly in the Americas and Europe. Why is there a lag between the spread of COVID in the global south and what's happening in the Western world? Something we need to really examine. Examine. Severe cold could break hundreds of records this weekend. A blast of Arctic air will freeze the Western and Central United States. The temperatures in some places up to 60 degrees below normal parts of Montana may get this, everybody, hit minus 40 degrees. This cold could be life-threatening and it could make for frigid NFL playoff games and Iowa caucuses. Everybody also check in on just everybody, not just the elderly, but there are a lot of people who are in their homes without heat. And quite frankly, I think these gas companies ought to turn on the heat for everybody when you have something like this going on. This is an emergency, everybody. Uh, Florida School District removed 1,600 books from libraries last year. Dictionaries, everybody. Encyclopedias and reference books on topics including science and the Bible were pulled from schools in Florida's Escambia County. A state law prohibits books that mention sexual conduct. Get this, everybody. Dictionaries, encyclopedias, and reference books. How are you supposed to get your information? In Chicago, we are looking at a a major snow event, everybody. A winter storm warning is in effect. We'll have a high of 35 degrees, but it will be getting frigidly cold. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 16 degrees and cloudy. The NFL wild card round begins this weekend. Get your popcorn together, everybody. The Warriors will be playing the Bulls, and the Trailblazers will be playing the Timberwolves. In the NHL, the Jets 2, Chicago 1. The Flyers will be playing the Wild tonight. And those are the headlines. Pastor Tisha Dixon-Williams, how are you doing today? I'm doing well today. Good morning. Oh, it's wonderful hearing your voice. It's wonderful hearing your voice. You're going to be in Chicago next weekend, yes? I am. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, boy, oh, boy. And we can't wait to have you in Chicago. Can't wait to see you. What will you be doing in Chicago? I am going to be celebrating uh, Lady Joyce Thurston. As you know, they are making their way toward retirement. And so January is the month to honor her and the work that she has done as a leader at New Covenant Baptist Church, the Cove. <laughs> so I am there to help celebrate and be the guest celebrant for her service on Sunday. 
the 21st, I believe that is, at 9 a.m., and I'm looking forward to it. Well, I'll be running late, but I will be there. Awesome. Our our nationally syndicated show, Keep Up Alive, ends at 9. I have some things to wrap up, but I'm going to get over to the Cubs. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> I cannot wait, everybody. That's at 78th and Cottage Grove with a beautiful church, and they're doing beautiful things. Pastor Stephen Thurston, uh, indeed, has opened up his a campus of the church to migrants and um, is really putting into practice uh, the kind of life that God wants us to lead, creating a beloved community. And I support my baby brother in every single way that I can because he's just an absolute gem, really trying to lead some transformation in the church as his grandfather did more than 60 years ago, helping to found the Progressive Baptists, which grew to more than 2.3 million people after Dr. King was effectively pushed out of the National Baptist Convention. His politics were too progressive. So they created the Progressive Baptist Convention, uh, and Pastor Stephen Thurston's grandfather was part of that, as was his dad. Uh, creating a space for ministers to talk about the issues that you need them to talk about, your rights, the price of food, on and on and on. So we thank God for the Thurston family today. We thank God for them. And we thank God for you, the author of I See You, Sis. I See You, And I See You, Sis. Go to Amazon, everybody, and pick it up. You don't want to miss this book. And how can we worship with you before you give us the good news? Sure, you can worship with us at First Baptist Church of Bridgehampton every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube. Make sure to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss any of our worship experiences. Love it, love it, love it. Talk to me. What's going on today? Well, I wanted to share with everyone this morning that we all have an imposter What if I were to tell you that each and every one of us lives with an imposter? And I can remember growing up as a child and watching cartoons on Saturday morning. And like most of us did, you plopped yourself in front of the television. It was the only day your parents didn't have to remind you to get up early. You plopped yourself in front of the television with a nice bowl of cereal and you began to watch your cartoons. And your cartoons for kids were like the stories a big mama now. <laughs> you didn't miss an episode. <laughs> and one of my favorite cartoons, like so many of us, was Scooby-Doo. I loved the mystery gang. I loved the mystery van. I loved Scooby-Doo and Shaggy and, and Velma and Freddie and Daphne <laughs> and Scrappy later on and Shaggy. I loved all of them. But the interesting thing about Scooby-Doo is that they were always solving mysteries, some sort of puzzle, something that had to be Figured out. We all remember the scenes when they would walk down the hallway and the eyes on the picture would start moving. <laughs> and their goal was always to uncover the imposter. And you know how it was at the end of every episode when they solved the mystery, there someone was standing looking ever so perfect until they did what? Rip the hood off their head, rip the mask off them, and there's the imposter. This is the person you're really looking for. And truly, Santita, I can't ever remember hearing or really using the word imposter beyond spelling words other than in cartoons and on Scooby-Doo. That was my exposure to the word imposter as the Scooby gang solved these mysteries. Well, what if I were to tell you we, too, have a mystery to solve? We also need to uncover, unveil, reveal our imposters. 
each and every one of us suffers from some level of what is called imposter syndrome. And when I look at the Bible, I can't help but to see Gideon. Gideon is the key poster child for imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is a common feeling of inadequacy where doubt and our abilities take over. Fear is exposed. We are afraid of being exposed as frauds. We're afraid of being exposed for what we can't do, rather what we are doing. We're afraid to take compliments. When someone says, wow, you're so good at what you do, we downplay it. And it's all because of imposter syndrome. Our imposters that live with inside of us are our great saboteurs. And just like Gideon, we have the power to overcome these feelings and accomplish great things. When I look at Gideon, we have to look at his initial doubt. Gideon was a humble man, ordinary background. There was nothing extraordinary about him. And he was confident to hide out from his oppressors. And then one day he has an encounter with God. And he says, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest, and I'm the weakest one in my clan. But God ensures Gideon in the midst of his self-doubt, you're going to do it because I'm going to be with you. We have to recognize that our potential is not determined by our physical prowess, our circumstances are are determined by our self-perception and how we feel about ourselves and what we believe our abilities to be. Gideon's assurance and empowerment in response to God's doubt, God reassured him, I'll be with you. I'll strike down the Midianites. And it was his confidence. It was the confidence that he had subsequently in God, because initially he thought, well, where have you been? (laughs) We've been going through all of this. Where have you been? We've heard the stories and the rumors about how God saved Israel. Where have you been? And I can feel in my spirit this morning, somebody's wondering before they embark on that new thing in 2024, somebody's crying out, God, where have you been? I've seen you do it for my neighbors. I've seen you do it for the folks on my job. I've seen you do it in my family. My grandmother and grandfather have always told me to trust in God, but where have you been? Here's the good news. God has been right there the entire time. Gideon had to prepare for the transformation happening in his life. His army went from 32,000 to just 300, demonstrating that it's not our own strength, but rather our reliance on God that leads us to the victory. As we struggle with imposter syndrome, we have to remember that our journey is not about perfection. It's about growth. Sometimes done is better than perfect. And embracing challenges and seeking guidance will transform our doubts into opportunities. So I want you to focus in 2024. I want you, first of all, to reveal the imposter, expose the imposter, imprison the imposter so that you might go on and live a life free of doubt and walk right into your destiny. And that's the good news. That is the good news. Let me ask you this. It's not, no but, but, but. It's, it's an and, and, and. <laughs> and what do you do? Because, I mean, all of that's true. What do you do when the people closest to you express the most doubt? Mm-hmm. You know, and that is not part of the course. <laughs> yeah, it could be your husband, your wife, your partner, your mother, your mm-hmm. father. I mean, and sometimes I was talking with a friend of mine who was a pastor yesterday. I was speaking mm-hmm. yesterday to a friend of mine who was a pastor who construct the sentence properly. And I remember when the Menendez brothers uh, mm-hmm. killed their parents. And everybody talked about these monsters that these boys were. And I said, hmm, 
something about that always struck me as strange, right? I said, because children, it's unnatural for you to hate your parents. It's unnatural. You just, is that what you do? I said, something else happened here. And as the mm-hmm. trial went on, you found out that heard that the father was abusive, and then you find out that the father helped to manage Menudo, and then Menudo came out and said they had been sexually and psychologically abused. I said, oh. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Wait, 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 wait. I said, now some of this stuff is beginning to make sense to me, because I always say things always make sense. They just don't have, you don't have all the pieces, right? That's all right. So, so when you have your greatest naysayers, and doubters, people make you feel like you're the imposter. Right up front, mm-hmm. what do you do? You keep going, mm. and you change your circle. As much as you possibly can, you keep pushing forward, keep doing what you know to do, and you change your circle. The key to being successful, the key to being positive, I have found, is to surround yourself with like-minded people. Um, (laughs) If you're in the company of nine 'er ne'er-do-wells, it's highly likely you'll be the tenth 'er (laughs) ne'er-do-well. You surround yourself with people who have like minds, who talk about things. I've heard it said that, you know, small people talk about people. People with goals talk about their goals, and you want to be around people who share your ambition, who share your like mind, and even more or even better, you want to be around people who are where you're trying to get to as opposed to surrounding yourself with a group of peers. Surround yourself with a group of your heroes as much as possible, and it's not that you sever ties with the people you're in relationship with. But you make sure to to put yourself, deliberately position yourself in an environment of winners. Chickens don't scratch with eagles. Eagles Eagles don't scratch with chickens. (laughs) But how about that? I mean, Mm because my my question is, I mean, how do you do that? Because, you know, you want to honor your family and all of that. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you really need to separate. Right. Well, part of that is boundaries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's boundaries. It, it's about boundaries. Um, we have to put boundaries around our dreams sometimes. Um, and it, it really depends on how bad you want it. If you want it bad enough, you don't allow people to derail you. If you know this is what God has planned for you, if this is what God has spoken to you, you don't allow people to derail you. Absolutely true. We get set back a lot. And we're always surprised by our family's behavior. (laughs) But it's about boundaries. It's about setting limits for people that says, yeah, you have access to this. You do not have access to that. My dreams, as far as you all are concerned, are inaccessible. (laughs) You don't get access to my visions. I think of uh, uh, um, Joseph um, and how he expressed what his dream was how he had this dream that he was going to be a leader and he was going to rule over everybody. And the next thing you know, he finds himself in a ditch. Those were not like-minded people, and they were his family. That was his family that did that to them. So your visions, your dreams, your goals need boundaries just like you do. It's just as important for your dreams, your goals, and your visions to have boundaries in as much as your person has boundaries. Because they matter. 
Mm-hmm. Amen. I like and I, it's something I say all the time. If you can't handle my shine, you just going to have to get some shade because it's not going to dull. <laughs> Ow. I love you, girl. It's never going to go down. So there you go. (laughs) But, you know, you need to do that. Because I'm reading Barbara Streisand's Mm -hmm. book. And her mother has been very, very difficult. Not been supportive of her at all. And has made some really cutting, mean remarks. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is not as uncommon as people think. And I think that we need to... Deal with all of these um, these taboo topics so that people can get well. Absolutely, and you know what? You find that people who behave that way, contrary to what it seems like, they're not against you. They wish they were you. Most of the time, the people who come against you as you're aspiring to do better, they lash out because they don't have the courage to do what you're doing. They wish they could step out and do what you're doing. And so that response is not necessarily one of resentment. It's actually one of inspiration. But they just don't have what it takes to do what you're doing. And if they resent anyone, it's themselves for not grabbing the bull by the horns maybe when they had the chance to. But to that person, I say it's never too late. You too. <laughs> oh, wow. And push forward. Thank you for that. I needed that today, and I think somebody else needed that, too. I love you, Pastor. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You You are so welcome. You are so welcome. Same. Can't wait to hug your neck. (laughs) Absolutely, my girl. My girl. Let's talk about saving the children. The United Nations has said that the least safe place, the worst place to be a child in the world today is Gaza. Let's talk about that in just a few minutes. We can change the world, change the world, change the world. Oh, yes, we can. We can change the world, we can change the world, change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. Okay, I can hear someone in the background, but I'm coming on on WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Let's talk about saving the children. Uh, The MLK breakfast of Rainbow Push has been going on for decades now because we want to save the children. We want to give you a chance. We want to get you to college. Uh, We've been sending to the tune of tens of millions of dollars, young people to college, um, getting them through. Uh, And at the same time, we're looking at a crisis in Gaza for our children that did not begin October 7th. Indeed, it was suggested that the least safe place to live in the world would be Gaza. The UN said that would happen by 2020. We're four years past that, and that that is true today. And the least safe place in the world for our children is Gaza. The least safe place in the world for our children is Gaza. As they are bombarded with bombs, as they are restricted, they're not getting enough food to eat. Calorically, Israel restricts the amount of food that they get every single day. Uh, They are at risk for infectious disease, lack of food, water, medicine, and 
our children and dogs are killing themselves. I mean, there's just no hope. How do I get out of here? So let's talk about that. Let's talk about saving the children as we have this peace summit in Chicago today at Rainbow Push. Yes, even with this winter event, hundreds of people will come out, and you want to be there, too. You want to hear Dr. Cornell West today and Nina Turner. You want to hear them talk about how we can not just have quiet but peace. The presence of justice, Israeli security, and Palestinian justice are married to each other. We're going to be talking about that today and tomorrow. So we want to welcome to the show Samra Wyden, who is a native of Palestine. He's a Palestinian-American. He's a social worker. He's a clinician. So he can really dig down in this. And we've got Reverend Jeanette Wilson Esquire, pastor, uh, head of the Push Itself Program at Rainbow Push, as all of the work that she's been doing down the years as an educator, saving our children. Samra, thank you for being with us today. Um, thank you so much, Santita. Uh, it's truly an honor and, and, and a pleasure to be here and to be a part of something that has been a space that has historically allowed so many unheard voices in our society be able to, to share our experiences and our narratives. And I'm immensely honored to be here as well with Reverend Wilson. Well, you know, what honor to have you, because people talk about Palestinians, but we don't talk with you. And this is an opportunity, right. Reverend Wilson, to hear firsthand what, what it is like to live in a territory, in an area of the world that the United Nations has said is the most dangerous place in the world to be a child. The most dangerous place in the world to be a child. What does that mean? Well, you know, the thing that I think is really interesting, um, Santita and Reverend Wilson, is that for for so many people who don't understand, that can't begin to imagine or comprehend the experience of, or the plight of Palestinians, um, including our children. We don't have to look far in our own country. Um, we have neighborhoods in our country, we have streets and institutions in our country that mimic the model of what we're seeing and happening in Gaza and the West Bank. Um, living in a police state, living in a surveillance society, these institutions and infrastructures and the ways that they harm and take away our youth at such young, precious ages, um, it doesn't just exist in this faraway place that we can't imagine or begin to understand how it unfolds. It happens every day in our communities, every single day. And so that's the first point that I really, really wanted to name and honor is that all of the children, all the children of the world are our children. And these institutions that are primarily funded by the United States government and and created by the United States government in collaboration with other powers that do not have our interests at heart, threaten all the children of the world, the children of Gaza, the children of the West Bank, the children of Africa, the children of Bolivia, of Cuba, of Korea, everywhere, all around the world. These children face this. No, 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 no. I mean, I just think it's... the. The fact that you are intersectional about this, because we do Mm -hmm. have a so-called Global South in the United States, 
you know, mm-hmm. you can see uh, chilling poverty throughout Appalachia, throughout the Mississippi Delta, in Chicago, yes. <laughs> in L.A. I mean, the richest country on earth has some of the poorest communities on earth. You've got homeless the, the richest- people, but you've got 15 million, you know, vacant units of housing <laughs> in the United States. How does that work? I mean, how, what does it mean for us to live in a society, you know, whatever language you want to use, I, I, I want to be also like, um, I want my language to be accommodating. And so, you know, whatever society, country, nation we live in, um, what does it say about us that we don't care about our children? Mm-hmm. You know, when we look at history and we look at communities and cultures and kingdoms and empires, I think we really stand out um, in a lot of ways. But I think one of the ways that is truly alarming and abnormal and unsettling even for, like, human nature is the way our societies, the way that capitalistic white supremacist societies don't love their children. And one of the ways that I can clearly point to this is climate catastrophe, Um, the climate catastrophe that is unfolding in Gaza, but also all over the world that can be avoided. Um, However, the, the, those in charge, the corporations and the truly elite and wealthy choose not to do that and are choosing to drag us down with them in climate catastrophe. And that's the thing about these people, uh, Santita and Reverend Wilson is that, and, I think uh, I, I can say this quite crassly, but they don't love their own children. And so I think for them to not love their own children, it's, it's pretty, it highlights how easy it is for them to treat so many children like this in the millions. What is happening with the children in Gaza? I mean, what is life like for them? I don't know, um, Sintida. It's it's quite dark and it's quite difficult to language. Um, what we're seeing unfold is a level of acute trauma, and and you know, I, I wish I don't even know. I don't even believe there's current that we currently even have the clinical language to address what the children of Gaza are facing. Um, as you may know, I am a clinician. I'm in my last year of my MSW program. Uh, I'm a social worker. I'm a social worker in the emergency room, um, so I can work anywhere. <laughs> and what I what I see from a distance happening to my siblings in Gaza, it's it's I, I don't have the language. I mean, when when a child is not allowed to dream anymore, their sense of self. And their self-esteem is shattered. Shattered. You know, well, it's you know, it's amazing. Doctor Joy Degree talks about the post-traumatic slave syndrome, and um, you've been talking about this. Uh, this what is it? Uh, a model, uh, a post-colonial model. I, I, I want to get the language. Yes. Right. Yeah. So um, I'm someone. You know, social work and. Um, social work is a, you know, like any industry is deeply ingrained in white supremacy. I mean, the FBI and CIA were founded by um, a psychologist 
And social work in this country, I do not believe, was founded to really uh, further the betterment of those who are marginalized in our society. I actually think that social work disarms and depoliticizes marginalized populations in a welfare state, such as children, women, black people, brown immigrants, you know, the list goes on, marginalized um, communities. And it's, it's very interesting because, you know, the P in PTSD is post-traumatic stress syndrome, correct? And so it implies that um, whatever the trauma that took place has passed. Well, then what does that mean when the trauma is ongoing? We don't have really cases like this. What, do, what, it, what does it mean when your people have survived Zionist, white supremacist, ethnic cleansing and genocide for over 75 years. What does that mean for your mothers, for your fathers, for your siblings? What does it mean? And so Palestine has some of the highest rates of mental illness in the world. A quarter of Palestinian adolescents have attempted suicide and about 23% of them have this, you know, quote PTSD, according to a survey of, I forget the number. And, um, you know, 23% of PTSD compared to around 6 to 7% of PTSD in the U.S. Um, but Samah Jabir, her name is Samah, S-A-M-A-H. She's the chair of the mental health unit uh, at the Palestinian Ministry of Health and one of just 32 psychiatrists all, all across Palestinian territories. She, she uh, doubts those statistics. She came out in 2019 um, and stated that she questioned the methodology. She, and if, you, if I may uh, share this quote, she says, quote, I think they're measuring social psychological pain and social suffering, and they're saying this is depression. What is sick, the context or the person? In Palestine, we see many people whose symptoms, unusual emotional reaction or behaviors, or a normal reaction to a pathogenic context, end quote. So there are many people in Palestine who are suffering, but Western developed tools for measuring depression, such as the Beck inventory, um, do not tend to distinguish between justified misery and clinical depression. So what we're seeing, I think, among the children of Gaza is one of the largest examples of justified misery among children. Reverend Wilson, when you hear his story, when you see uh, the children who are suffering in Chicago, the children that we've seen suffering all around the country and through Reverend Jackson's ministry that we've seen suffering all around the world, what do we say at this time? Well, I think there's uh, parallels. Gaza and the Middle East have a problem with how children are valued on steroids, but when you look at our communities in the city of Chicago, all across the United States, you see children living in poverty. In Chicago, for example, uh, children and families are riding buses all night long because they're homeless. There are more than 30,000 children who are homeless, not including the migrants who are here sleeping in tents around the city. Uh, finding shelter in libraries and other buildings that are open during the day. Children should not have to live like that. And so then when you see uh, children in Gaza who are, are born prematurely, 
have to be placed on respirators if the respirators have no electricity uh, and they're not allowed to breathe a basic life breath. Uh, mothers are forced to uh, uh, have uh, C-sections without anesthesia. So the children are, children's health at birth is compromised. Look in the city, our lack of investment in nutritional uh, efforts for children. You look at the school lunches in America. We don't care about children. We're giving them uh, extreme carbohydrates on a daily basis, uh, cheese and uh, unhealthy uh, meals. Many children, the only meals they get is when, when they attend school, and now we cut back on on that those school lunches in school. So the whole idea of we must save the children. And the, the issue in the Middle East and the issues here are parallel. We look at the level of violence that is now perpetrated against children. More children are dying of gun violence, of people are shooting up schools. I never thought when I was a child that I would go to school and not return home. I never had a person my age in elementary school to die except they had some rare disease like rheumatic heart fever or something. None of my peers were killed. These children have memorials in school buildings now. And so when, you op- when we open up the King Breakfast, we have a focus on saving the children. And when you look at the educational system that in many states and many cities now denying children accurate uh, understanding of history so that they can see themselves as more than uh, gang members and see themselves more than people that deny the existence of their culture, the value of their culture, removing African-American, Latino history, Native American history from the curriculum in the states. We're denying children a history and giving them nothing to dream about. Many of us grew up dreaming that we would be like uh, Thurgood Marshall. We grew up thinking that we would be like Constant Baker Motley. We had images of our ancestors that gave us hope, no matter what our present condition was. We saw opportunity. I went to school teachers. Because in Gaza, all of their heroes are outlaws. I mean, that's what's what's happening in America. You ask children, what do you want to be? I want to be a gangbanger. Yes, little girls, what do you want to be? You know, so they have a negative image. I'm saying these are their freedom fighters, the freedom fighters. Well, I mean, you know, we have. No, stay right right there, Reverend Wilson, because, you know, I think this is like, we need to talk about this, Mr. (laughs) O'Reilly. You know, because this is is the conflict here. I think if if you oppress a people for decades and for generations of families, there will rise up among them a generation of young people who say, I am not going to be forced to live in poverty without fighting about it. I'm not going to be restricted as Native Americans were to a plot of land. You keep moving me every time the land becomes valuable. I find value in the land. You take me and transplant me to another plot of land. And so 
there are so many parallels between what's happening in the Middle East and what's happening here. I mean, it, well, it, and, it's, so, and so what young people say is, I'm not going to take this. Well, no, because, you know because when, when, you, when you, we have these protests in the United States, Mr. O'Wida, stay right there, Reverend Wilson. The young people of Gaza have reached out to the young black folks in the United States, and they said, now, wait a minute. When the police do this to you, this is what you need to do. <laughs> and wait a minute. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Let me give you some advice here. I mean, because, mm-hmm. and that is, that relationship is, is a relationship that no one really wants to talk about or touch. And maybe yeah. that's why the young people are leading this struggle mm-hmm. here. Because yeah. they're like, wait, 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 wait. These are our allies. What are you talking about? I remember when Reverend mm-hmm. Jackson ran for president 40 years ago, you had pictures, and it made me cry, of the children in Gaza and the West Bank holding up Jesse Jackson, run, Jesse, run. They were wearing T-shirts, and they had signs. Because somebody was talking about them. What, moving forward, and I want to have you come back on the show so that we can talk about this. Uh, Reverend Wilson, we need to talk about this intersection between what's happening with our children. Oh, oh, I, what do you, no, well, no, just hold on, because I want, I, want, I want him to close us out, because I've only got about three minutes left here. What do you, know, you need us? What do you need us to do? What do I need you to do? Well, well, I, I want to keep it quick because I, Reverend Wilson, I do also want you to be able to to share, um, if that's okay. I, I, I just want you all mm-hmm. to love us. Um, I want you to love Palestinians, and I want you to let us love you. And you know, bell hooks really hit the nail on the head. What our society, this is happening in the world. This is happening in our societies because we are not, we're not loving. We don't love. We're not acting out love. Um, there's so many things you could do, right? I could say all, uh, you know, call your reps and do this and do that. You all know what to do. You all know what to do. But what I want you to do differently in 2024 is to love Palestinians, to love us as your brothers and your sisters, as your siblings in this struggle. I want you to celebrate us. I want you to listen to us. I want you to cook for us and let us celebrate and cook for you. I want you all to be in community with us. We're really beautiful people, and to know us is to, is to truly know unconditional love. We would not have survived 75 years of this hateful, hateful, hateful campaign of genocide if our ancestors, if our elders, and our children did not all teach us to love each other through this. Well, you know, Dr. King focused on love, knowing how traumatized black people were. He understood that a violent revolution, he said, no, 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 if you don't, if we don't start with love, we're doomed. Because hurt people Mm -hmm. hurt other people. That's what what breaks my heart about our Jewish brothers and sisters. Well, that's what's happening, absolutely. This is what the the, the Nazis violated them so bad and traumatized Mm -hmm. them so bad. This This is what happens when trauma is transmitted, when it's not transformed. We need to transform our hurt. We need to radically transform our trauma so that we do not transmit it. And I can guarantee you that it stops and it ends here with Palestinian liberation. We will be the ones to break this cycle because we are breaking it every single day. And we will do so with our black brothers and sisters and siblings all over the world and let history and the present and our imagination of the future be what stands the test of time. When I say that. Amen. Reverend Jeanette Wilson, the last 90 seconds of the to you. 
Reverend Wilson? Well, you know yes, what? I'm sorry. I, yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm going to I've got 60 seconds now. <laughs> I'm off of you. No, no, I'm saying this I've is, been trying this to. Is a, it, let's get to it. I, I'm saying this is a conversation that we have to have more often because we are experiencing problems with children at, of every culture, every race. We must save the children. And I think, as Samir suggested, we need to come together because the sociological and physiological, psychological impact of this trauma of living in a war zone on a daily basis, you mm-hmm. cannot understand as a child, why am I being bombed? Why am I being attacked? Why am I being not allowed? As a little girl said, I was ready to go outside and play. Now I have no mm-hmm. legs. I can't walk anymore. Mm-hmm. That was just a horrifying uh, picture to me as a mother and women and fathers, men and women must begin to consciously fight for the best opportunity for every child. And that's when uh, Reverend Jackson did to save the children. It's such a, uh, a moment now that we must fight to save the children. It's not about one culture. It's not about one religion. It is about the world community that Dr. King talked about, the beloved community. We must fight well, to achieve that. And we must defeat man's inhumanity to man, because that's really what it comes down to. You think old girls yes. got into a world of trouble talking about that, but people are unkind to each other. And they other are. people hurt other people. That is what we do. And that is what breaks my heart about our Jewish brothers and sisters. They're doing what's been done to them, but all people do it. And we have to stop it. And you have an so obligation. is to, to say... My brother, my sister, this is not the way. It's not the way. Uh, very quickly, the NLK breakfast, where is it? Are there any tickets that anyone can get? There are a few tickets left. We need you to join us Monday, January 15th at Apostolic Church of God. 8 o'clock is going to be the best Southern breakfast you ever had. But the program, you will see children, oratorical children. You'll see children are performing, but you'll hear a powerful message from our New president, the Reverend Dr. Frederick Douglass Haynes III. We are challenging America and the world to save the children. Amen. Mr. Owida, Summer, thank Ms. you so Ken much Chita. for being with us. We're going to have this conversation again. Well, should I say Absolutely. we're going to extend it? We're going to extend it. You have the number. Yeah. Oh, look, <laughs> and, and you know what? And you've got mine. And, and something with it. Let's do something about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. 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 So, take care of yourselves. Let's, let's oh, take care of ourselves so and each other. And Thank you, my you friend. so much love, my dear and my friend and brother. How about that? We are family. <laughs> we are family. I mean, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Let's talk about what life is like for Palestinians as we have this peace summit. As this peace summit goes forward at Rainbow Push Day at 930 50 feet. Get on over there with the winter storm coming. Cornell West is already in town. He's going to be there. Nina Turner's already going to be there. Hundreds of you have already said, I'm coming. It doesn't matter about the snowstorm. We're going to keep each other warm. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. 
everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show, WTPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, January 12th, 2024, the beginning of the MLK weekend. How will you celebrate the life of a man who gave so much? Celebrate the life of a man whose life was taken for him as he fought for peace, as he saw, as he fought to fight to establish the beloved community where there would be no more poverty, where there would be no more war, where there would be love amongst one another, sisters and brothers and of every conceivable background, because that is what we were constructed to do and be, loving. Love is a noun and a verb. When are we going to do that? When are we going to make that happen? I know a lot is made of volunteering for Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday, but if you're not talking about love and putting it in action, and that is putting it in action legislatively in terms of our budget, this bloated military budget was something that he fought against. He said, you can't fight wars abroad and war on poverty at home. You're going to have to make a choice. We've made a choice, and we are literally poor, sicker, and for it and dying because of it. Let's talk about that today. Let's talk about that as we're watching the Middle East explode, as we watch it explode, as we watch this conflict. It is now, it is a global conflict. Where will all of this lead? Let's talk about this. And at the center of that discussion is what are we going to do about the Palestinians? Do they have a right to defend themselves? Do they have a right to return? Do they have rights at all? Hmm. Let's talk about that. And Israeli security. To be fair, Israeli security and Palestinian justice are tied to one another. Lions and lambs have to lie down together. And the way the Lord has worked it out, oh boy, no one can make it all up like God does. We all have to be together. God has promised you a seat at the table in the presence of your enemy because your enemy is God's child too. Think about that, everybody. I'm Santita Jackson coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive health radio station. And AM 950 Radio, the voice of Progressive Minnesota. My morning stars will be back up on YouTube and Facebook next week. I cannot wait, but you know, I've been moving, so we've had to reestablish the beachhead for the Santita Jackson show in my new place, and I'm excited that we're going to do that very, very shortly in the next few days. So call us at 773 763 9278 773 763 9278 as you gather, as we all gather at the Peace Summit. Cornell West is already in town. Nina Turner getting here so that we can, in spite of this this winter storm, and maybe because of it, we're fighting for peace and fighting to get through the snow so that we can be at 930 50th Street today at the Radio Push International Headquarters. Get over there about 9 o'clock. Everything's going to be kicking off. You don't want to miss it. It's about being there with one another in person. I'm at Wayne. Hey, everybody. I'm speaking at Wayne State University at Detroit, Michigan, about Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday and um, and how all of these world events really intersect right here, right now. So let us get to some of the headlines 
on the Santita Jackson Show. This from the Washington Post. The U.S. and British forces struck Houthi militants in Yemen yesterday. The Iran-backed rebel group has been attacking ships in the Red Sea since November in protest of Israel's war on Gaza, disrupting global trade. Donald Trump symbols for our trial in New York wrapped up yesterday. The former president interrupted court proceedings to attack the judge and New York Attorney General Letitia James, who filed a $370 million lawsuit against him. The FAA is launching an investigation into Boeing's manufacturing process. A panel flew off a Boeing 737 MAX 9 jet. Thank goodness someone seen it right there. Can you imagine? But it was devastating and frightening to everybody. Uh, during this Alaska Airlines flight last week, the probe announced yesterday will examine Boeing's safety procedures. Some of the screws, I understand, were not even in place. Mm. COVID killed nearly 10,000 people around the world last month. Why is it still killing 1,500? Why is it still hospitalizing 1,500 people in the United States? Mm. Severe colds have break hundreds of records this weekend. Where? In the Midwest, in the central U.S., in the western U.S., please be careful, everybody. It's going to be tough to play football outside today. And in Montana, they expect to hit minus 40 degrees. Ouch, everybody. Please be careful. Please be careful. Please be careful out there today. In Chicago, of course, we have this winter event. We're expecting a foot of snow. Be careful, everybody. 35 degrees. Uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, 16 degrees and cloudy. The NFL wild card round begins this weekend. Oh, boy. And those who are playing in the cold areas, please be careful. In the NBA, the Warriors will be facing off, facing off against the Bulls, the Trailblazers against the Timberwolves. In the NHL, the Jets 2, Chicago 1. And the Flyers will be playing the Wild. And those are some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show. Sam Blonde, I am so glad to have you, Palestinian-American entrepreneur, humanitarian, descendant of the West Bank, but an activist, a humanitarian, someone who's really looking to create a better world. Far too often, we do not hear the Palestinian voices. We hear about them and we stereotype them. We don't even know who they are. We don't know many people uh, who went home one day, and then when they came back, they went to work, and when they came back, they've been expelled from their home. That literally happened to people. So we've got to talk about that. We've got to talk about what it's like to not be able to go home again. Well, you've lived for hundreds, if not thousands of years. We've got to talk about that in relation to this peace summit, because that is what we are gathering to do today. James Zogby and Reverend Jesse Jackson have called for it, and people are coming in from all over the country so that we can meet at 930 50th Street today uh, to talk about peace. You are out in California. I'm so glad that you got up to be with us today. Sam Bland, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, Santia. Well, no, I'm it is a, you love me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's an early morning here, and it's a, a little bit, well, not as cold as you guys. Uh, it's, it's dipping into the 30s here in L.A., which is, is uncanny, but we are in the desert. Uh, but I'm having my morning coffee. I've been listening to, to the wonderful guests you guys had on before and uh, just hopefully be able to impart a little bit of my background and let some people see, you know, a different side of things. Please help us. What side are we not seeing? 
Well, you know, I think the humanization of Palestinians, I think, is one of the things that uh, has been lost in the decades that I've been alive. Uh, you know, I think over the last four decades, we haven't seen this fervor and this uproar around the world in terms of reason, obviously, with what's going on. However, you know, my family, my dad is one of 10, my mom is one of seven, I have over 65 first cousins. My favorite memories as I was a young, you know, a kid when I was three, four, five years old, I spent my summers on our farms. We had groves and groves of olive trees, uh, fig trees, eggplant farms. We uh, tilled the land, chickens, donkeys, horses, uh, rabbits even. And, uh, the, you know, my grandma would cook um, beautiful, elaborate meals through this huge clay oven that was, you know, over 100 years old. Uh, my father's side of the family, we can trace back a few hundred years. My mom's side of the family, Shadid, which means steel or strong in Arabic, can be traced back to the ancient Egyptians and Canaanites. So our lineage goes back very far. And uh, again, some of my favorite memories is, is, is being there with my family and on the land and tilling the land and, and harvesting our olives, which we uh, distribute all over the Middle East and sometimes in Europe and obviously in Chicago, where my family has settled. And my grandmother on my dad's side was a beekeeper. So some of my earliest memories were bees swarming around her. And she would always come and give me the first honeycomb and say, it's because your father is my favorite. And I'd always retort to her, well, Grandma, you have 10 kids. How's my father your favorite? And so these stories are important in, in, in understanding that uh, these people have been here for a very long time. And, you know, the, the, the Arabic word for Palestine is Salafim. And so if you look at the, the etymology of the word and how long it's been around, it goes back thousands of years and it's been used in different types of ways. So I think it's important to understand history. It's important to understand, uh, obviously, the Jewish side of history and, and uh, how far it goes back. But I really, you know, besides all the beautiful moments that I see and had and experienced uh, in, in my, my family's historic land, I've also experienced the, the ugly side of it. I've seen uh, Israeli soldiers shoot uh, young boys and girls, and, and you know who are who are protesting against things. I've seen a hundred-person fight between Hamas and Fatah, you know the two factions of the Palestinians uh, that are constantly at odds with one another. Um, you know, basically just go uh, at blows because they don't know how to uh, or which way to sort of uh, go forward with what uh, you know what is going to give them the liberation. So there's been a lot of cards stacked against us, but the people there, they are resilient, they are beautiful, they love the land, they love their families. Uh, this, you know, misinformation that we often see in the media, I often challenge a lot of, you know, my Israeli or Jewish friends, and I do the same thing with Palestinian friends, that if I'm your only Palestinian friend, go make another one. Go speak to another one. And I do the same thing with Palestinians. You know, if you don't know any Jewish people, you don't know any Israelis, go find one. Go talk to them. Yeah, it may be a difficult conversation, but you have a lot of allies. And I think that's a really important aspect to keep in mind because, you know, we often get this uh, hunkered down, and this is what you're seeing a lot, the polarization, which the algorithms in, in, in our Web2 world doesn't really uh, help us with. So we have to be very aware that we have to be consciousness. And I think, Santina, you and I talked about this. I don't think this is a battle between Israel and Palestine. This is a battle for human consciousness. Mm. We are at the precipice of understanding how the world should be better. And we are, we are yearning for that better world. And we are, we are protesting for it as well. I believe that. I really, really do. I mean, because I think that what you're watching is a traumatized people traumatize other people. That's 
the beauty of us talking about, you know, that's the beauty of us talking about this at this moment, because Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King knew that slaves were not born, they're made, and that there was a complete destruction of our people. Not complete because we're still here, and something in us fought to survive and thrive, but he knew the deconstructing of our pride, of our hope, of our faith, of our dreams that had to happen in order to make us slaves, to, in order for us to become enslaved. And he knew the process that we would have to, in which we'd have to engage to climb up out of that ditch. And he knew that if it was not guided by love, if love was not at the center of it, we would do to white what had been done to us. I'll give you a little story. Uh, my father was running for president. This was the second time that he ran, and he was up in Iowa, Sam. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he went to see these kindergartners, and they ran, you know, they ran up to him, oh, Reverend, because my father, you know, at the time had five kids, so, I mean, he really understood children, right? So they yeah. ran up, there was a, a little white boy in the corner who was frightened to death. And my father, you know, like shepherds, wanted to know what was going on with that child. Long story short, he was almost trembling as my father very gingerly approached him. And as he coaxed him out of the corner, he said, my parents told me that if you become president, you're going to do to us what white people did to black people. Oh, wow. And there you go. There you have it. That's Not only is that the fear, but that's the trauma. And you see it happen, though, right? So I guess my question is, where do you, where do you see the Palestinian community going now? I mean, I mean, it's about one of the biggest groups of refugees in the world. I mean, what's next? Well, I think what we're seeing is, is an allyship like we've never seen before. Uh, we, I, I say the Palestinians can use all the help they can get. Uh, we've sort of uh, been left to, to the wolves in, in a lot of ways, and there hasn't been much support over the years. Now, I think that the situation in and of itself needs outside forces. Uh, it's been one bad decision after another that led to this. And if you're a student of history, uh, as I am, especially in this conflict, which is uh, important for us to under, uh, actually understand, you can tell like that we, we've tried so many different things. And, you know, we've tried the nonviolent movement. Obviously, there's the violent movement. There's obviously different facets of this. And no matter what angle we take, let's just use one, let's use the nonviolent movement, which is the BDS movement, boycott, divestment, and sanction. I believe it's your First Amendment right to boycott and, and, you know, not to participate in anything that you want. However, in the United States, there's over 35 laws uh, in 35 states, excuse me, that says that if you boycott the state of Israel, you will not be able to get government contracts, you will be sued, et cetera, et cetera. 35 states have this law on the books in the United States. So, you, you know, if you, if you try the nonviolent movement, you try the, the, this movement, and it seems to always hit a wall, it's at this point that the international community and those who were uh, sort of responsible for the current situation need to step up more. The British and French mandate system, which carved up the Middle East in the way it is now, the uh, five surrounding Arab uh, countries that 
never had an intention, by the way, for a Palestinian state. They didn't like the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem who met with Hitler and all these things. And so they, they, they were in cahoots to, to take over the land as it got partitioned. So all these entities need to atone for their actions that led to us where we're at. The Palestinians have been saying this for decades and decades. You know, my grandfather, uh, when he was, before the state of Israel, before anything was, was started, he was on the land and somebody said, uh, oh, um, uh, Abed, who's his name, he has a gun. And it was, it was illegal for any Palestinians to have a gun. So they beat, the British soldiers beat him half to death because there was a rumor that he had a gun. We couldn't even defend ourselves if somebody found out that we had a gun. So we didn't have the support from, from others. And yes, the Arab armies came, but there, there, was, there was other reasons for them to come. And it wasn't just to help the Palestinians. It was to grab more land because they ended up, you know, just getting their own little plot in, in the way that it is. So I think the Palestinians, they, they are using every means they can, and they're asking the world to sort of help step in at this point, because it's obvious that leaving them to their own devices, the Israeli and Palestinians, that is, they're not really able to get past this, and they become so much more polarized that we need, to, we need more voices to help bridge that gap. What... How just can you tell us what the I mean what life is like for Palestinians? Today? I mean, sure. I, uh, what I so can't my, even imagine. My, yeah, yeah. My 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 family. So uh, as I mentioned, over sixty five first cousins is a very large family. On my mother's side, I'm I'm in a what's up group with about forty ish of those uh, first cousins, second cousins, etc. My sisters, everyone's in there. And they're giving us live, live updates. Our, our our village is about 30 minutes, 45 minutes from a main town center called Tulgetum, which is in the up, uh, Upper West Bank. And, you know, for the most part, they, they their, their lives are, are unaffected because they're mostly surrounded by other Arab villages and towns and et cetera. However, you know, they were messaging us in, in the beginning of, of this latest flare-up in the conflict because it really never ends. It, they, the, the electricity was shut off multiple times. Now, we're not even talking about Gaza here. We're talking about the West Bank. Uh, so the electricity would be shut off randomly. Uh, they would be uh, fearing uh, to move anywhere. They couldn't even go to the city center. Again, uh, our, our village is very high in the mountains, and that's where we, until the Zakat and the olives and everything else up there. So, you know, they hunker down. They don't really go much, and you know, but when things weren't before October 7th, there's about 550, 540 checkpoints. That has now tripled. So imagine trying to get around places and go places where every single move is monitored, every single move is checked, every single move is, you know, and this is kind of reminiscent to, to uh, what was going on after slavery here in the United States, because yes, uh, people became uh, free in that sense, but they didn't have the right to vote. It's the same thing that Palestinians in the West Bank, though they don't have the right to vote. They don't have any way to, uh, uh, you know, have their voices heard. They don't have uh, the control over their own destiny. These are things that, that in order for there to be justice, have to be granted to the people who want self-determination. And simultaneously, we must provide safety to, to you know, the Israelis. I don't believe in layering one injustice after another on top of each other. But again, one bad decision after another, let's start with the bad decisions. Uh, so that is that is the, the daily life there. It's very hard, especially being able to do anything economically. You know, I, I, uh, I'm in, in tech and I, I've had success here and, and you know, I'm very privileged, privileged living in the United States. That's what they want, too. You know, and we have to start inspiring and imagining that because they want to have that upward mood. They want to work in, 
and film and tech and, and build some cool things. And, and, you know, they just need to be given the opportunity. But unfortunately, the economic incentives there are such that the, the, there's no way to really communicate with the outside world. The, 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 even your Wi-Fi there is, is, is not even talk about 4G, 5G, it's, it's 2G, you know? So, so, you know, communication uh, can be cut off anytime. Your water supply is, is, is affected. So these are things that they're constantly dealing with. Hmm. I want you to come back to the show and talk about this because uh, it's just hard to imagine having caloric restrictions placed upon you. That happened before October 7th. Having the least drinkable water on Earth, that was true before October 7th. The least safe place for a child, the most dangerous place in the world for a child, that occurred. That was the truth before October 7th. And on and on and on and on it goes. And yet, the Palestinians still thrive, but they're saying that the, the bombs don't get them, the disease, the dehydration will. So we got to continue to shine a light, because if it can happen there, it can happen anywhere. And it is happening everywhere. We've got to continue to talk about that. Tom Blonde, I want you, the last minute belongs to you. What do you want us to know? Well, we're starting the Olive Alliance, and one of the things that uh, really is important is we want our people to join us in the sacred space of resolution. It's really important that people understand that we need to think about what's after a ceasefire. Obviously, let's call for a ceasefire. The destruction and, and devastation is uh, unimaginable, and what we're seeing in, in real time is unimaginable. But I do believe that, you know, it's darkest before the dawn, and it's time for us to, to step up and do something about it. And I'm really excited for you guys this weekend for the, for the uh, Peace Summit, and uh, I hope to, to continue uh, gathering allies because uh, the road ahead of us is, is extremely difficult but uh, needed. Well, you know what? You have a home here. I can't wait for you to come. The next time we have one of these peace summits, you got to come on to Chicago. Even yes, in I the will. snow. Thank you. It's my hometown. <laughs> come on now. You know what's going on. I'm sending you so much love today. Let's talk about this thank peace you, summit. Peter. Why do we need it? Why? Oh, no. Thank you. Thank you. Why do we need it? Why do we need it? Who's going to be there? Even with the snow event, people are going to be there. I hope you will, too. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. Yes, we are having a snow event in Chicago today, but guess what? We will be at Rainbow Push. We hope that you'll be there, too. Cornell West is already in town eager to speak with you about peace in the Middle East. And there is just a lot that we have got to talk about with respect to um, a crisis that really is global. Let's be very clear. This is a global crisis, and we have got to talk about this today. Um, and how can we get peace? And what is peace? Exactly. We've got Pastor Chauncey Brown. So 
He's the head of 1000 Churches Connected. And of course, Reverend Dr. Todd Yeary and attorney Aaron Connolly. First, Reverend Dr. Yeary, define peace. Wow, that's a... Uh... You, you're going to start with the, the, the big question ready? that's going to determine whether or not you, you, you ace the exam. Um, you ready? <laughs> peace, peace is the ability to live with a neighbor who has differences, different perspectives, different ideas, different cultures, but do it in a way where uh, it's not only coexistence, but really kind of uh, an interdependence. It allows uh, two communities, multiple communities, to be able to thrive, even though they come from, from different spaces. Uh, but it, it is also the ability to work through the differences that could lead to conflict. It doesn't mean that you're conflict-free. It means that the conflicts are not handicapping your ability uh, to be able to to thrive uh, mutually, and so it really requires effort. It requires it requires hard work. It requires understanding. It requires uh, integrity in the disclosure. We have to be uh, upfront and forthright uh, with how we discuss where we are. It really is uh, peace is the outcome of justice. And if you don't have justice, that's the, that's the thing that we often say when we're when when we're in the streets. No justice, no peace. Uh, that's that's the byproduct. It is the baby of justice. Peace is is that, and and it requires people of good faith and goodwill uh, to be able to get there. And so the peace summit is the gathering of people of good faith, goodwill, uh, and integrity to sit down uh, in, with, the, with the pursuit of justice in mind, to get to a place in a space where everybody can thrive in an environment without having to uh, uh, morph into uh, someone else. I don't have to change who I am to be uh, at peace with Pastor Brown. Pastor Brown gets to be Pastor Brown. I get to be me. Erin Connolly gets to be herself. But when we have differences, we sit down to work through the issues so that we can come away with the byproduct of justice, which is peace. Hmm. Pastor Chauncey Brown, senior pastor of the Second Baptist Church of Maywood and head of 1,000 Churches Connected, the initiative from Rainbow Push. The Peace Summit, why now, and what role should the church have in this dialogue about peace? Do they belong in it, out of it, at the center of it? You tell me. Uh, good morning. Absolutely. I believe the church has a huge stake in ensuring peace and uh, participating in peace. As I understand it, peace is what God has given us. Peace is a gift from God. It's the Bible that says in John chapter 14 and 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, but give I unto you. Peace is a gift from God himself, and the church should be a place of peace. We should be pursuing peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. We must do it now uh, because the world is in chaos. We must do it now because the world pursues peace based on resources. Um, but God is peace. God's gift to us in Jesus was and is peace. And so we must pursue it now. Otherwise, uh, we're mishandling the gift that God left with us in Jesus Christ. 
many people would say, would push back and say, this is, the church is being too political. What do you say to that? I believe uh, the word of God, when the word of God says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell within. If God has given us a gift in peace, if God has called us to pursue peace, then I don't believe that the church is being too political, but I believe that the church is in a space where we must float above politics, that we must float um, higher and in God's, in God's reign and his kingdom, we are created to live in harmony. And so the church should be pursuing peace. Uh, it's your brother, Congressman Jonathan Jackson, who highlights this all the time, that blessed are the peacemakers, um, not just the ones that endure peace, but those that pursue peace and find solutions of reconciliation. Hmm. Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Attorney Aaron Connolly, a peace summit, why now? Why is this important today? I know I keep asking that question, but many people, you know, it's like we've got a snow event coming, right? Um, but now we've got the Houthis. We're seeing they they have been protesting what's been happening too. Uh, to people in Gaza, to the Palestinians. I mean, I don't think we understand how this conflict has impacted people around the world. Well, and we look at over 90 days of all-out siege and humanitarian crisis in, in Gaza, right? And I think this peace summit is is so important because it, it brings folks together, um, virtual, in-person, both, it brings this thought and moral leadership, this, this philosophical conversation that people are struggling with existentially as they see this footage, whether it's on their phone scrolling, whether it's on the news. They are people who, who value justice in this world, who understand that, that this conflict did not begin in October, that this has been um, a 50-year um, siege. Right. That the humanitarian uh, crisis did, did not start recently, but is now reached a level where people have to wake up at two in the morning to wait in line for water, where children are denied food daily, where there is no medicine. There is no medical system. There are no solutions if you are hurt or injured. Imagine the acute stress of that for for the people who are surviving these bombs. Right. We look at what what happened this week in uh, the deliberation of, of genocide brought by, by South Africa, right? We need to have real conversations about how the United States and how the world will view the citizens of the United States participating in these activities and what we can do about it every day to make it better. And I think that that is what I always get from any gathering at Rainbow Push, whether we're talking about a migrant crisis or whether we're talking about peace or whether we're talking about violence in the United States um, against black children. Every time I, I leave, whatever the subject matter is, I have a plan of action of, of what I can do 
to find some some peace inside of that and and do the good work that that it's going to take. So I'm I'm hopeful that 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 will happen this weekend. And I, I can't go today because of uh, school closures, but I'll be there tomorrow. And um, with a young woman who's Palestinian American who's running for office, right? And that's that's the the hope that I find. The people that are on the ground doing the work, raising money for humanitarian aid, for Doctors Without Borders, for doing what they can in this crisis, right? And 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 that's that's what I always find from Rainbow Push, whether it's diaper drives or food drives or bringing bottled water to communities that don't have clean drinking water here in the United States. All of these pieces of oppression are connected. And it reminds us that we have so much work to do to find what Reverend Yuri def- defined as, as peace, which we understand the Palestinians have not had. Right. We're we're begging for a ceasefire, which is just a, a, a pause, a a time out and actual military assault. Imagine what we have to do to rebuild after that to, to what your previous guest was saying, Santita, that this is a humanitarian crisis from that will echo through the Middle East. And we are seeing the implications um, as you mentioned, um, globally, and it's a very delicate situation in Ukraine and in Gaza right now and how that spills over to a, a larger global conflict and what that means for for peace as a whole in this world. Hmm. Uh, 773-763-9278. What about a peace summit? Why is it important for us to have that now? Why Chicago? Why Rainbow Push? Why should a rainbow, Reverend Dr. Yuri, be calling for a peace summit? And how do you do that anyway? How do you organize all these different kinds of people to call, to make this uniform call for peace? Well, let's start with that part first, right? There, there has to be courage in the convening. Uh, a lot of times folks don't want to... Uh, invite folks to sit down and discuss conflict, right? Peace is, peace doesn't happen on its own. Peace starts with an acknowledgement that there's something, there's an impediment uh, that is uh, hindering our ability to have a relationship that leads to uh, the benefit of mutual coexistence where uh, folks from different perspectives and walks of life can thrive. And so the first thing is the courage, because it means then that you're going to sit in a space uh, with with people who are different, who don't see uh, the issues the way you do, that don't experience the world the same way that you do, and so that that's number one. But with that, it it invites people to then uh, stand in the integrity of who they are, right, the fullness of who they are, to be able to to share, to discuss, to listen. Can't can't move past listening uh, too fast at all, so that we get to a place called understanding. It's a lot of times we we assume that peace means everybody agrees on everything. No, what peace is is really reaching a place of mutual understanding, so that the places that we don't agree on don't hinder us from being able to thrive in the areas that we do agree on. Uh, we, we come from family systems, and we certainly don't agree with everybody in our family, but it doesn't mean that we, we disengage uh, from them. We don't, uh, we don't ostracize. We're not hostile toward them. At least I pray that that's the case. Uh, and so when, when you talk about the rainbow, 
that's the reality. This notion of monolithic engagement, monolithic existence has never been the case. The, the, the experiment has been uh, around trying to figure out how do I get the world to revolve around me? That's the exercise that is futile on its face. And until we recognize that, that uh, when, when Pastor Brown uh, uh, quotes scripture that says, the earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof, the, the world and they that dwell therein, the, the other part is, is remember from one blood came all nations. And so we cannot uh, now somehow believe that we're able to impose on other people from other perspectives, our reality, our issues, uh, and make them conform. It, it cannot be that the outcome of peace is understanding, not, not violence and force. It can't be either you will get along with me or I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, to violate your, the, the sanctity of your, your integrity, body, culture, all of that. War is not the way to get to peace. Either, I'll, either you make peace with me, or I'll drop a bomb. That, no, 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 that's, that's not how that works. So the, the summit, right, the summit, the sitting down with a neighbor means a lot. The, the, the text, the biblical text, the sacred text of the world, talk about how you resolve conflicts. How do you uh, get to a place where you can thrive with your neighbor? We do not get through this world on our own in isolation. And that's not just individually, that's community to community. And if we don't have this conversation, the courage that is being exhibited today in the midst of a snowstorm, right, uh, is an important one that we cannot uh, uh, walk away from and we cannot dismiss. And so everyone who is part of this exercise is for the rainbow. You bring your part of the rainbow with you so that when we sit down, it becomes a reflection of the outcome that we hope to see. That's what I'm looking forward to, and that's what I'm anticipating from this summit. How do we get the churches involved? I mean, have you gotten any pushback, Pastor Brown, about getting involved in this? Because we also see in our churches, for example, um, Christian Zionists pushing into the black mm -hmm. churches, right? And, um, and taking pastors to Israel, and there's nothing wrong with that. But these are not religious expeditions as much as they are political expeditions. How do you work in that context? Absolutely. It's an interesting dynamic. Uh, again, I believe the church has to not be uh, so political that I believe that a lot of churches, from what I'm hearing from other pastors and clergy members, they're staying out of this circumstance. Uh, because they feel they have to pick a side. Uh, for me, personally, I don't believe I have to pick a side that I can easily call for a ceasefire because I know that if the earth is the Lord's, the fullness there of all they dwell within, everyone uh, is God's creation. Everyone deserves to live. God doesn't want death on either side. And a lot of uh, clergymen or clergywomen that I've spoken with they want to stay out of it because they don't want to get into politics. And my question is, if you don't want to get into politics, can we get into lives being saved? Can we get into taking care of God's creation? Uh, God cares about the children dying in Gaza. God cares about the children dying in Israel. He cares about the children suffering at the border of the United States of America. And he cares about the children suffering in our own communities. God cares about his children. God cares about his creation. And I don't believe this is something that the church
church can sit on the sideline because if the voice of God is to get to the community, the church has to come outside of our four walls and go to the community that is in need. And if there's children hurting across the world, there's children hurting in America. If there's children hurting in Gaza, there's children hurting in the kingdom of God. If there's children hurting in Israel, there's children hurting in the kingdom of God. And God takes care of his hurt children. But if if, if the church is to be relevant, uh, particularly when all institutions are being questioned, right? I mean, nobody's, nobody's off limits now. Pastor Brown, Attorney Connolly, and Reverend Dr. Yeary. Everybody's being held to account today. I mean, it just feels like that's the zeitgeist, right? I mean, mm-hmm. everybody's being pulled on Front Street. How does the church expect to be relevant if they won't touch this? And that's, that's the, the question heard around the world. The church, uh, in this moment, I believe that the church will be remembered for its stance and some will be remembered, parts of the church universal will be remembered for its silence in this critical moment. Where we stand today, and not only what we vocalize, but again, why this peace summit is so important. You have the greatest, some of the greatest minds in the world are coming to Rainbow Push Coalition today uh, because we believe that the solution of peace can come from right here in Chicago, that we can impact the world in the ways of our founder, Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr., and our new president, Dr. Haynes. We can impact the world with great minds like Dr. Cornell West and Dr. Jim Zogby. Um, And the church has to be at the forefront of this for it is the voice of God that when God speaks, things happen. But if God is speaking through his church and his church is refusing to speak the word to the world, our silence could very well be the crust or the, the issue uh, on the road to peace. So the church has to speak up. You got to remain relevant and revelatory. What is God saying to the times? You know, it just it makes me think about Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King pulling my father out of seminary a semester before he was getting his master's. I mean, he had a full scholarship. And Dr. King at the, at the University of Chicago, Dr. King and Reverend Dr. Wyatt T. Walker and Reverend Dr. Ralph Abernathy, they were earned PhDs. They believed in uh, a strong, solid education. When Dr. King pulled my father out of seminary, and my father looked at him, he was like, Doc, you are a doctor. You have a Ph.D. Are you serious right now? He said, I can teach you more about theology than they can ever teach you in that seminary, young man. And where you're going, you need to come with me. I want everybody, including you, Aaron, just as lay people, one minute, because I think that this is something for all of us, whether we are clergy or not. Uh, we should all speak to this. Let's start with you, Aaron. One minute. Well, I th- I think there has to be, in in all of the political work I've seen, the movements that matter, that get things done, there is a moral center, right? There is a core that we say we will fight to make sure that 
children have medical care. We will fight to make sure that people have food. We must support these tenants that our faiths come together in the middle of this Venn diagram that also merges those political things. And we have to take a stand on those. These are, these are beyond politics. It's easy to make those labels. It's harder to dig into these bigger conversations and find that moral center where we all have more in common than, than being different, no matter how different we are, as, as both of these brilliant pastors have, have said this morning. And I, I look forward to, to praying with everyone tomorrow morning. I, I think that's an important piece of it, no matter what you're saying, to come together and find that moral center together. Absolutely. Pastor Chauncey Brown, your final minute. Yes. Yes, I, I'm grateful. Thank you for uh, allowing me to share with you all, um, with distinguished guests. It is my belief that our theology is our persuasion, but oftentimes we forget our sociology, which is our practice. What I believe about God should guide my practice. If I believe that God is a God of peace, I must guide my practice. I can have, uh, and I believe in going and getting education. I, I have several degrees. Uh, in this Bible. And so I'm I'm honored to have that. But if I cannot apply it to real world issues, then my education's in vain. We must come to a space where we are at peace. When the Bible speaks of peace, there are several types of peace that we must go for. One, when we're at peace with God, it will lead us to be at peace with others. When I'm at peace with myself, I can be at peace with others when we're at peace together, then there's peace in our homes, and then there's peace that only God's salvation brings. This is a God-sized task for God-sized people to change this world in a way to pursue peace, to endure peace, to end war, and level heads shall prevail, but we need spirit-guided people to step up, say something, do something, and pursue, pursue peace. Reverend Dr. Yeary, one minute. Well, Santita, thanks for uh, the opportunity to talk about this important gathering. This, is, this gathering is, is where people uh, are invited to express what Paul Tillich calls the courage to be. Mm. You get to bring the, the, the integrity and the authenticity of who you are, grounded in what you believe, to sit down at the table with other people of integrity and credibility to have a conversation about how we impact the world. Uh, the churches that are reluctant, the pastors that are reluctant to get involved, well, you're already involved. The question is, where will you participate? Will you participate by observation from the sideline? Will you participate by, by full engagement uh, inside the arena, the crucible, where good things are made because people are willing to sit down at the table? That's what this summit is. That's what this summit will help to produce, and you don't want to miss it. So sitting out does not mean you get to stay out. Sitting out just means you're going to participate from a place where you don't bring your courage to be to the table. That's what's needed. 930 50th Street, everybody. Cornell West is already here. Already here. Nina Turner. You don't want to miss it. James Zogby, Reverend Jesse Jackson. Everybody's going to be there today, and I'm going to fight through this snow. Pastor Yeary and Attorney Connolly and uh, 
Reverend Dr. Yeary, so I can get there, too. Can't wait. Today and tomorrow at 35th Street, you don't want to miss it. Sending you much love. Henry, thank you for a great show. May God bless you real good, everybody. And I'll see you at see the Peace Summit. Today, Rainbow Push, 930 50th Street. May God bless you. 